Welcome to the Genius of Liberty, stories that celebrate the crucial yet forgotten role Ohio played in the fight for women's right to vote. I'm Hillary Copsey, your host. This series is named after the Genius of Liberty, one of the first U.S. periodicals published by a woman. Elizabeth A. Aldrich covered national women's rights conventions and advocated equal access to education, equal pay for equal work, and voting rights for women. She also had ties to the Mercantile Library. Catherine Durek writes and voices Genius of Liberty stories, and Chris Messick records and produces the series. Today's story is Leading the Nation from Warren, Ohio. After President Carrie Chapman Katz suffered a serious illness, the headquarters for the National American Woman Suffrage Association moved to Warren, Ohio, under the leadership of Harriet Taylor Upton from 1903 to 1910. Despite a decade of defeats and the inevitable aging and death of pioneer suffragists, in 1906, the National American Woman Suffrage Association proclaimed that at no time in its history has this organization had so much reason to feel confident of the future. Three years earlier, the national headquarters had been transferred from New York City to Warren, Ohio, under the management of Treasurer Harriet Taylor Upton. For seven years, Ohio women provided much of the elbow grease that kept the U.S. movement growing and finally led to a new victory when in 1910, Washington State joined Wyoming, Colorado, Utah, and Idaho in extending equal voting rights to female citizens. Undaunted by the challenges of moving headquarters from a city of over 3 million to a town of around 12,000, Mrs. Upton and headquarters secretary Elizabeth J. Hauser assured members that business could be handled as ably in small town Ohio as in metropolitan New York. Warren is located midway between Cleveland and Pittsburgh and has excellent railroad facilities, two daily newspapers and three weeklies. Though Warren's post office was small, Mrs. Upton asserted the mail of our organization will be well taken care of. Indeed, handling the mail was one of the larger tasks the small staff had to manage. Modern office equipment eased the work. With onion skin and carbon paper, a typist could pound out a letter and create a file copy simultaneously. If more copies of a document were needed, staff could rattle them off on the mimeograph, creating a fresh, if slightly damp, copy of a single typed page with each turn of a crank. Articles and pamphlets were professionally printed and stored neatly on shelves. Addresses were cataloged in a well-thumbed index card file, retrieved when needed, and typed on envelopes, which were then stuffed, sealed, stamped, and posted. During the first eight months, dedicated workers sent out more than 10,000 letters and more than 35,000 pieces of printed matter. In 1904, they wrote 14,000 letters, or an average of about 45 a day. In 1905, campaign activities in the West increased demands for information. That September, headquarters sent out more than 800 items a day. After Susan B. Anthony's death in March 1906, headquarters became responsible for managing the storage, sales, and distribution of Anthony's last gift to the association, 10 tons of books, more than 4,000 volumes of the history of woman suffrage. 
By 1909, Harriet Taylor Upton had served as treasurer for 16 years and had witnessed how dramatically the need for money increased as the number of state suffrage campaigns multiplied. As plans were made to move headquarters back to New York City, Upton urged the association to adopt professional management practices as she challenged supporters once again to dig deep into their pockets. Now, as the beginning of the end of our work is in sight, demands for money are many, and if business rules are followed, these demands must be met, she wrote in her last report as treasurer. The small self-sacrifices must be continued. We are all shouting for a fifth star on our suffrage flag to mark a new equal suffrage state, but we must remember that no star was ever placed upon any flag without cost, without sacrifice. Our fifth star will find its place because we explain to voters what a fifth star really means. These voters will not come to us. We must go to them, and to go anywhere costs money. Shall we be content with four stars, or shall we provide the means to get a fifth? Thank you for listening to The Genius of Liberty. You can subscribe to The Genius of Liberty through Apple Podcasts and find all of our episodes at soundcloud.com slash thegeniusofliberty. Our theme music is Battle Hymn of the Republic Medley by Marissa Anderson, originally recorded live on WFMU and used with permission. Genius of Liberty stories come to you from Cincinnati's Mercantile Library. You belong here.